Well, good morning. Good to worship with you today. Thanks for being here. And if you are visiting with us for the first time, I want to say welcome. My name is Fred, I'm one of the pastors, and I get to preach the word today. And so I just wanted to welcome you. If there's anything we can do for you while you're here, please let us know. We are going to be in Revelation chapter three today, if you want to open your Bibles there. While you're turning there, uh, I did want to, well, first of all, you would probably see in the handout that we are in great need of kids ministry volunteers. And so if you desire to uh, inquire about, get more information about being a part of that team, uh, you can do a couple things. You can fill out that connect card and let us know. You can also stop by the kids check-in booth and uh, just talk to somebody there. They would be happy to uh, explain more to you about what they're looking for and what they need. If you wanna be a part of the solution for that, we would greatly appreciate that. Also wanted to uh, just briefly mention Amy's funeral yesterday as we were just reflecting on some of the things that happened over the past few months with Chris and Amy. One of the things that, that uh, stood out was how, how quickly they became loved and integral uh, to our church body here. You know, Chris and Amy have you know, only been here probably a little over two years at the most. And, um, but the difference was, the reason, uh, part of the reason was, is they took great initiative to get plugged into the body. And one of the things that I think we all could learn from that is, you know, it's easy to just kind of sit back and let things happen or to, to not really, you know, apply yourself to being a part of the body. But it really makes a difference when you put forth the effort, get into a small group or volunteer and serve or just build relationships, just take time outside of church to, to have relationships with one another. It makes all the difference in the world, really. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you've kind of been sitting on the sidelines and just watching, I want to encourage you. There's a lot of great people around you. There are great people who love the Lord and who want to grow closer to him. Uh, who would make great friends and, and honestly, um, who, who would just be good people to get to know. Furthermore, we as a church, we need you. We need whatever gifts and abilities that, that you have to offer. We need you. Chris and Amy uh, serve pretty much from day one. They, they, they plugged in right away. And uh, even through the battles that they've been going through with Amy's cancer, continued to serve and continued to love others. And I really just felt like they modeled that well for us. And it encouraged me uh, to, to keep to keep pushing into relationships and to keep making it a priority to be the church together. So I just didn't want to get past this weekend uh, without mentioning that. Thank you for your prayers yesterday. Um, went as well as funerals go. I think Jesus was honored. I think uh, those who knew Amy were comforted and um, the gospel was presented and, and our church was very loving to everybody who came in. So thank you for those of you who helped make that happen. Okay, with that, let's look at Revelation chapter three. I wanna read starting in verse 14. As usual, I'll read the passage and then we'll take a moment to pray before getting into the sermon. Verse 14 says, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked." 
I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not be exposed. And ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you pray with me? Father, we... We come before you humbled by your word, humbled by your kindness and your grace, longing to know more of you, longing to have more of you in our lives. And so I pray that you would do your work in our hearts today. Work through your word. Holy Spirit, have your way and your will in this place. May we be convicted where we need to be convicted. May we be encouraged where we need to be encouraged. May we leave this place better equipped to do the work of ministry that you have called us to do in this life. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to meeting your people here. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The final of the seven letters of the book of Revelation. If you were with us last week, we covered the first, the letter to the church in Ephesus. We are going to jump the rest of them and go right to the end. As I've mentioned several times, we're not going to, as we often do, go through every verse of the book. We're going to pick select passages that I think really encompass well or represent well the message of the book of Revelation. And so we skip to this final letter in this series of seven letters written to the church in Laodicea. There are a couple of things that should stand out to you from this letter. One is that Jesus skips the normal commendation that most of the other letters contain. Normally Jesus comes in and he says, here's what you're doing well, here's where you need to grow. He skips the here's what you're doing well and goes straight to correction. And Jesus, if you're, hopefully you, and I I tried to be sort of, sort of neutral as I read the passage, but hopefully you felt the uncomfortableness of the tone. The tone of this letter, which consequently will affect the tone of this message, the tone of this letter is strong rebuke. Jesus would love, no doubt, to be able to commend the Laodicean church for all of the good things that they're doing well. But as he, the one who knows everything, the one who is among them, it says in in verse 14, the faithful and true witness. What is a faithful and true witness? Well, if you think of If you think of a courtroom setting and you place somebody on the witness stand, they are somebody who unapologetically is going to witness to the truth. They're not going to be skewed by any sort of influence of personal relationship or bias in the case. They're a faithful and true witness is going to speak the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Jesus knows them well. He knows their works. 
He is a faithful witness, and he has nothing for which to commend them. Jesus' message, if you want to follow along in the handout, this is the first set of blanks that we're going to fill in. Jesus' message to the church in Laodicea has three blistering points of rebuke. There are at least three accusations here. Perhaps accusation is not the best word. Observations, convictions. There are three things that, that Jesus points out in way of rebuke to them. The first is this. He says to the Laodicean church, you are lukewarm. You are lukewarm. Lukewarm is somewhere in between hot and cold, right? It's debatable what is, you know, you could say room temperature, uh, but room temperature is a bit subjective, some of you are thinking this room is not what I'm accustomed to as room temperature. Some of you are thinking, I wish we kept my house this cold. It's, there's, there, it's a subjective thing to say room temperature. But somewhere in between hot and cold is this idea of lukewarm. And Jesus says in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Wow. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Somebody has arrived to Laodicea with a letter from the Lord, a message from God. They gather the church together Everybody excitedly comes together to hear what this message might be. Jesus begins with, I know you. Wow, Jesus, he knows us. He's heard of us. He's familiar with us. You are neither hot nor cold. And because of that, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That sucks the air out of the room a little bit, doesn't it? The image here is you, you have to know a little bit about the geographical setting of Laodicea. Laodicea is, is situated between two towns, Hierapolis to the north, which is known for their hot springs. And uh, hot springs, I don't know, I don't, I'm not, don't know of any hot springs here in Western Pennsylvania, but I've been to hot springs in the Middle East, and it's a very popular um, attraction whenever you, you live near a hot spring. It's water that comes out of the ground or usually comes out of mountains or whatever at a very high temperature, and that, that becomes a bit of a tourist attraction, and especially 2,000 years ago when it was not all that easy to get water warm uh, on a large scale anyhow. And uh, when we were over in Israel a few years ago, we went to this place in northern Israel. There's this whole resort built around this hot spring that comes out of the ground. And you can go, there's, there's different sections to it. There's these what essentially are like hot tubs. It's big hot tubs, like 
almost the size of this room. And then that kind of leads into the warm pool. And then it kind of filters out into this very large open air pool where the water is, has cooled down and it's a little more, um, well, it's a little more like the temperature of the air as water does. And there's, there was a competition between some of the pastors to see who could stay in the hot tub part of this the longest. And I'm, you know, I'm not here to boast, but uh, I won. But what's interesting uh, is, is not just that people come from all over to be a part of this and to see this, but it's, it's, it's interesting how this, this sort of natural, this natural thing creates such attention and usefulness. There's usefulness to warm water. You can, you can not only bathe with it, but warm water is, is useful as tonic water if you want to you know, make a tea or make some sort of uh, medicinal tea with that, then the water's already warm. There's a usefulness. And so in Hierapolis, just a few miles to the north, they were known for their hot springs. And that was useful. And then just a few miles to the south is Colossae, the, the city to which Paul wrote the, the letter Colossians. And they're the opposite. They're known for their cold spring water, which of course is very useful. Cold, refreshing, pure water. Laodicea, on the other hand, had no such springs. They had no natural source of water. It was a, it was a town that appeared to have been built because of it proximity to a major roadway and not necessarily proximity to natural resources. And so they had to be creative and the Roman Empire was very good at this type of thing. And so they actually piped in water 2,000 years ago. They had an underground piping system that brought water in from these outside sources. I believe the water actually came from Hierapolis where it started out as warm, started out as hot and as it traveled several miles underground through these ancient pipes, it, it kind of cooled off. And when it got to the city, it was lukewarm. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you have left a water bottle or something in your car during the summer and it was a hot day and it was cold when you got in and it was refreshing and you go in the store, maybe for 45 minutes, your car heats up, you come out, you're like, man, I really need a drink. You take a drink and you go, that's, that's lukewarm. That's lukewarm. Hot water's okay. You can make coffee, you can make tea. Cold water's refreshing. Lukewarm water, not good. Jesus takes a drink of the water of the church of Laodicea and instantly wants to spew it out of his mouth. Interesting that Jesus, he says, I wish that you were cold or hot. How are we to understand that? Jesus, if, if this is a reference to spiritual zeal, and I think that it is, there are a couple of different ways of looking at, at, at what Jesus is saying here. He may just be speaking solely to usefulness. Hot water is useful, cold water is useful, lukewarm water, not so much, but but because of the, the tone of the rest of the letter and how he calls them to be zealous and he calls them to repent, I think that it's safe to say this is a reference to their spiritual fervor. 
if that's the case, Jesus would rather they be cold. What do we make of that? Well, those who are spiritually hot, in love with the Lord, on fire for him, willing to serve him, and those who are spiritually cold, antagonistic to the gospel perhaps, those who, who reject Christ, what do they have in common? They both take Christ seriously. The spiritually hot take him seriously in that they are willing to obey him. The spiritually cold take him seriously in that they reject him. They have a case against him, but it, at least they have interacted with him. The lukewarm, they don't care. They don't have a strong opinion one way or another. Jesus just is. And that, perhaps, is a more dangerous condition to be in. The tendency of the lukewarm is to perceive that they are okay. We'll see this exemplified in the church of Laodicea. The tendency of the lukewarm is to think that they have no need to change. At least those who oppose Christ know that they are opposed to Christ. Perhaps, if we're understanding this right, Jesus prefers to, to work in the heart of somebody like that. And how often do you see people who, who live their lives opposed to Christ, opposed to Christ, opposed to Christ, and then all of a sudden, they love Jesus. And, it, it, and, and I think that's reflective of the spiritually cold are actually, there's a battle going on inside of them that they know they need Jesus that's why they argue so strongly against him because they're not ready for him. And then when God finally melts that ice and they are open to Jesus, they love him with great zeal. But not so the lukewarm. It's hard to convince a lukewarm person that they need to change. And their mind, let's, let's, just get to, let's just get to point number two because this will help, this will help uh, pull this together a little bit. The second blistering re point of rebuke that he has for them is not only are you lukewarm, he says you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. These are strong words, wretched, pitiful, Poor, blind, and naked. Hopefully you would be hard-pressed to find somebody that would describe you in, in such language as Jesus describes his church in Laodicea here. He, this, this, is not, this, is, this is, does not come across as if Jesus is very happy with them, does it? <laughs> he says in verse 17, for I say, for you say, I'm sorry, he says this of them, for you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, Laodicea, was a fairly affluent city. 
it was a banking center within the area and so a lot of people made a lot of money in that way. White collar jobs, people that were well to do. They were also known for, um, for, for some of the clothing and the carpets that they produced. They would make this clothing out of black wool which is gonna come up here in a minute. And so they were well dressed, they had nice things. The city was also home to a famous medical school where they produced this medicinal powder that they would use to treat different ailments of the eyes. And these were the things they were proud of. They had a, this, this, is, this, is a pretty, this is a pretty nice place to live. People have money there. People are dressed nicely there. They're medically advanced for the age and the time. And, and Jesus goes after each of the things that they were tempted to place their confidence in. You are wretched, poor, pitiful, poor, poor. We're not poor, we're, we're the Laodiceans. You're blind, blind? We're known for helping people recover eyesight. You're naked. Naked? We're finely clothed. Jesus says in verse 18, I advise you, to buy gold, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness not exposed and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. They're, they had trusted in their wealth and Jesus says, you're not wealthy, you're poor. They had they had taken great pride in how they present themselves and dressed. Jesus says, you're naked and it's shameful. They, they were well known for their ability to help people see. And Jesus says, then why are you blind? You see, I called this sermon the deceived church, not the lukewarm church, because lukewarmness is actually deception. Lukewarmness is the state of believing that you are okay. It's the state of thinking that you have things in order. It's the condition of believing that Jesus is pleased with you when he's not. This type of deception, the reason that Jesus skips the niceties and goes straight for correction is because this is a dangerous state to be in. To be deceived about your spiritual condition is, 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 is call for a radical response of repentance and returning to zeal. Perhaps the Laodiceans were so comfortable because they had once been taught the gospel of Jesus Christ and mesmerized by the beauty of the gospel became overconfident in the mercy of God, became overconfident in the kindness through which God saved them and they became apathetic over time, lukewarm. Ultimately, they became deceived. We don't need to repent. We don't, we don't need anything. 
We're the church of Laodicea. All the other churches want to be like us. We got, the, you know, this, to kind of pull this forward to like a, a, a modern day analogy maybe, we've got the nice building. We have enough money to, to, pay, to pay staff pastors. We, we have we, we have great music. We have all of these things going for us. So we're just gonna like grow lukewarm. We're just going to presume upon the mercy of God without seeking him. Thomas Watson said something that I think is helpful here. He said, take heed of abusing the mercy of God. Suck not poison out of the sweet flower of God's mercy. Think not that because God is merciful, you may go on in sin. This is to make mercy your enemy. To sin because mercy abounds is the devil's logic. He that sins because of mercy, he's like one that wounds his head because he has a bandage. He that sins because of God's mercy shall have judgment without mercy. Mercy abused turns to fury. Mercy is not for them that sin and fear not, but for them that fear and sin not. God's mercy is a holy mercy. Where it pardons, it heals. Church, we must not presume upon the mercy of Christ. We must not rest on our past condition of spiritual zeal. We must make it our aim to daily seek him. To, to not allow his, to allow his mercy to become an excuse for sin. As Watson says, is to make mercy your enemy. The Bible calls this trampling on the blood of Christ. To use mercy as an excuse for becoming lukewarm. To use mercy as an excuse to make compromises in your spiritual life. To use mercy as a reason to not serve God. For that, there is no mercy. Jesus comes to them and he warns them with great zeal. You think you're rich, you're dead broke. You think you're well clothed, you're so naked, it's shameful. You think that you can see, you're blind. This is a deceived church. He has one more rebuke for them. Not only are they lukewarm, not only are they poor, blind, and naked, Jesus says, I am not with you. I am not with you. What a surprise it must be to show up to church some Sunday and to hear from Jesus himself, I'm not here. But Jesus, we've been gathering every week. We sing the songs and we say the things and we do the stuff. I'm not with you. 
How do we know this? He says in verse 20, see, I stand at the door and knock. What in the world is Jesus doing outside of the church? He's supposed to be the centerpiece. He is supposed to be the the main attraction. He's the reason that they're there. Imagine gathering together for a wedding celebration, something a lot of people are doing these past few months. You gather together for a wedding celebration and everybody's together and you're, you're having a great time and you're eating delicious food and you're dancing to the songs and everybody's celebrating and everybody's thinking, this is great. What an amazing wedding. And then you hear a knock on the door. And someone goes to the door and there's the bride and the groom. And they've been locked out this whole time. What shame to think that you've, you've gone on celebrating so much that you've forgotten the reason for why you were there. The bride and groom didn't get to participate in any. This is what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. Guys, I'm outside. I'm not, I'm not among you. I'm not with you. I'm not a part of what is happening here. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Oftentimes, in letters written to the church, they're, they're written to the church corporately. There's an instruction that applies individually, but, but oftentimes the, 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 the tone of the letter is addressing the whole body. And Jesus here says, even down to the individual, I mean, the, the jury's still out on Laodicea. Are they gonna repent? Are they gonna return to their zeal for the Lord? Are they gonna do the things that he's commanding them to do? Whether they do or they don't, Jesus is extending the invitation to any who may open the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. This is particularly in the first century. I think we still have this today, but maybe not as much. Particularly in the first century to, to eat together, to dine together was a, was a sign of intimacy, of fellowship, of friendship. It was, it was an important thing. Jesus says, I wanna come, I wanna come in and I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. This is a beautiful picture. This is the, the, the one, as we keep this image in mind, as we read through Revelation, and as we study through Revelation, the one who sits on the throne with the sword coming out of his mouth, riding on the great white horse, all of these fantastic images of Jesus' power and his might, and yet he is the one who wants you. He wants to know and be known intimately. This offer surely extends to the whole church, but do not miss the fact that it extends to the individual. He doesn't say, if all of you hear my voice and open the door, he says, if anyone hears my voice, do you today need to respond to Jesus' invitation to open the door? Do you need to respond to Jesus' invitation to have an intimate, personal relationship with him? If so, he stands at the door and knocks.
So in spite of these three blistering rebukes of this church, it becomes very evident before he concludes this letter that he loves this church, that he loves these people. The last thing you see on the handout, and yet he loves them and invites them to live. He loves them and invites them to live. He, 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 the reason he is sending this message is not so that they feel condemned and hopeless. The reason he is sending them this message is because there's still time to turn. There's still time to change course. There's still time for them to get right with him. He says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Oh, what sweet words those must be to the Laodiceans at this point. They're sitting there and at this point they're just, they're digging their fingernails into their seats going, what is going on? Gee, I had no idea Jesus felt this way about us. And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Jesus is waking them up as a result of his love for them. But they have a responsibility to respond and their response is clear. He says, so be zealous and repent. Don't be lukewarm. Be scalding hot. (laughs) Be on fire for the Lord and repent. Repent of taking his mercy for granted. Receive his goodness and his kindness by turning from your sin. He says in verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus still envisions this for the Laodicean church. He still envisions that they will be with him forever. He envisions a day where they hear these words and they fall on their faces and repent and seek his mercy and his kindness, which he so gladly loves to give. He loves, he loves to respond to his people's repentance with his love, with his mercy, with his goodness. The result is that they will be seated with him on his throne. The result of repentance, the result of turning from sin to follow the Lord is full-fledged participation in his kingdom forever. They have locked him out, but he will not lock out those who repent They have grown cold in their love for him, but his love never grows cold. He will show them the depths of his love for all of eternity. And the letter concludes, or this section of letters concludes, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, Has God granted you ears to hear today? Has God stung with conviction your heart today? If so, repent. 
Repent and be zealous again. Turn to the Lord and give him your full attention, your full devotion. Give him the love that has been lost. Last week we talked about return to your first love. Church, before we go on into the rest of Revelation, which is really gonna deal with the revelation of Jesus and his church and all of the things that are playing out and will play out, but let us not move on without taking heed of this call to to be zealous and to repent and return to the Lord today. Do not presume upon his mercy, but eagerly, Seek his kindness. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we humble ourselves before you today. Your word sings with conviction. Oh, how often we have taken for granted your mercy. Oh, how often we have allowed our zeal to fade. Would that we be hot today. Jesus, may we be enthralled with your your invitation to walk with you. The victor of the book of Revelation invites us to know him and to be known by him. May we take you up on your generous kindness today. We turn from our sin, Lord Jesus. We repent. We ask for your mercy and forgiveness. Cleanse us anew today. Cause us to be zealous for you. For in your name we ask and seek it. Amen.